Jones, is there? No, no, no. That's all right. Go ahead. You ladies seem to be chatting enjoyably. Girl talk, no doubt. Don't mind me. Look, don't touch. That lovely dingus right there is an Alabama howdy-do. Molded grip handle, low current, high voltage, electric shock cattle prod. Name's Strickland, security. Blendin' security. Huh. Oh, no, no, a man washes his hands before or after tending to his needs. It tells you a lot about a man. He does it both times, points to a weakness in character. Ladies, it was very pleasant chatting with you both. Welcome to the Plastic Things Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Plastic Fangs Podcast. This is Rodney. And what an excellent day it is for an exorcism. That's right, I've got Benji and Daisy here. I'm going to remove and exorcise the demons from out of them. Because surely they've got demons inside of them. That's why they uh, like to go into the trash can and get things. Or drink out of the toilet. Or bark during the podcast. Because they uh, feel like... Uh, They're in competition with me, but obviously I don't have the amount of followers that Benji and Daisy had. So I am going to go ahead and I'm going to exercise the demons out of them. (laughs) Uh, But uh, actually, no, uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, The dog exorcist actually uh, called in sick, Uh, you know, too busy chasing its tail. So, uh, so yeah. But, uh, but you know what? Spooky season continues. And you know what else? The power of Christ is compelling me. Oh, does it? Does it compel me? Yeah, that's right. I've got my bowl of split pea soup here. You know, actually, I, I, I hate split pea soup. I actually hate a lot of soups. Uh, I'm more of a bisque or a chowder kind of guy. And uh, chowder, maybe. Chowder. That's what I need to say. Chowder. Kind of guy. It's chowder. Say it right. <laughs> and with the weather, of course, getting cooler now, hasn't been above 75 over the last few days. It's felt great. The leaves are crunching under your feet. It's that great time of year. Because here in Virginia Beach, we experience about three of the four seasons. You know, sometimes you get a little bit of uh, the winter. I know last year when I moved down here, it was actually, it was really mild. Year before that, though, they got snow. Uh, and, of course, there was snow uh, up in Fredericksburg as well. And uh, it was uh, being snowed in with uh, Brandon the Barber. So that was uh, some fun times. 
Um, but yeah, you know what else I, I love that I guess is it's not really like a soup, but it's uh, it's chili. And this time of year, there's a lot of Oktoberfests and chili cook-offs, you know, beer, flannel shirts, oyster crackers. You get those little plastic cups and you're like, you know, how, how am I going to get full with this little plastic cup of, of chili? And then you make your way around all of the chili stations and you get those little plastic cups and you're like, you know what, that, that, that does hit the spot. You have some brews. Uh, I, one time I got a pretzel necklace, so I'm like eating on the pretzel necklace in between stations. Uh, one time I even had like pumpkin chili, which was crazy. I'd never had pumpkin chili before, but by God, it was pretty damn tasty. You know, I'm not a really huge fan of beans in my chili, but I mean, some chili almost requires beans, you know, beans or no beans. That's great. Whatever you choose, whichever way you go, whether you're uh, into beans or not beans, it's all good here at the Plastic Fangs Podcast. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, breaking news here at the Plastic Fangs Podcast, uh, beans are a magical fruit. That's right. That's the type of education that you're going to get here with the Plastic Fangs Podcast. Uh, And speaking of uh, bodily functions... At the top of the show, you heard Michael Shannon tending to his needs in the film Shape of Water, which is a great spooky season kind of movie for those looking to add to their 31 days of horror movie lists. Uh, However, I will say the Shape of Water isn't technically horror. It's dubbed more as a romantic fantasy film. Uh, Although, of course, it's clearly inspired by the creature from the Black Lagoon. And so, in my opinion, that makes that movie a great watch for this time of year. I'm actually, I'm going to cut to the chase here, folks. Uh, I know I had some uh, some exorcist kind of um, teasers there. You know, some, some little nuggets thrown in there uh, at the opening. But, uh, but I'm just going to get right into the meat and potatoes here. And I'm going to talk about The Exorcist Believer. Um, last episode, I talked about how I wasn't a fan of Halloween ends and how leading into this, I was apprehensive. In fact, I wasn't planning on seeing this movie at all. Uh, I was not even sure if I was going to check it out on streaming. Um, word, you know, as of this recording, I I just actually found out, I believe it was yesterday that Exorcist Believer is going to drop on digital on October 24th. So that tells you how it's it's performed already uh which is uh pretty much below expectations uh but uh but you know i decided you know what i've got some movie pass points that i need to burn and that i'd go ahead and i'd give it a shot so uh so shannon and i went out to cinema cafe uh cinema cafe uh, the closest thing to alamo here in the uh, hampton roads area uh, you got your uh, recliners, you got seats, you order, uh, except um, I like the way the Alamo does it better where you write something down and of course uh, they, you know, then pick it up and, you know, take it back and bring you what you want. At Cinema Draft House, they just fucking talk. They're like, you know, oh, you want fries? You want, uh, you want an alcoholic beverage? You want a beer? You want a refill? on that popcorn or what have you right in the middle of a fucking movie. I mean, you're not really, I mean, they talk and, and show a whole thing at the beginning of the film about silencing your cell phones and all that. But 
you know, we're just going to go ahead and talk so, you know, we can take your order. It's a little bit distracting, but it's a lot better than going to like one of those big chains and the Coke remix machine being fucked up. Uh, but, um, anyway, headed out Sunday to cinema cafe and, uh, and caught the exorcist believer. And, uh, you know, I will say while the pre-film commercials are kind of dull and repetitive, almost like a slideshow, you know, of, uh, of local stuff. And it's not really that exciting or, or nuanced. They don't have Maria Menounos before the show or anything like that. Um, there were only two trailers right before the movie, though. Uh, one of which, of course, is a film that I'm very excited about seeing, like super excited. And I think a lot of us in horror, you know, have been waiting for a long time for this movie. And that was a trailer for Thanksgiving, for Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. The flick that horror fans have been begging for since Grindhouse came out. And I'm, I'm super pumped. It's got Patrick Dempsey, y'all. Yep, Patrick Dempsey. That's right. You may know him from such films as Can't Buy Me Love, Loverboy. He was in Scream 3, Bridget Jones's Baby, which uh, I haven't really seen Bridget Jones's Baby, but uh, I'm just going to assume that he played the part of the baby in that. But, uh, but, but I will tell you, starring in Thanksgiving is going to put this young up-and-comer on the map. Patrick Dempsey, it's a name that you will remember after this film because it is surely going to be the best Thanksgiving horror film ever. Or at least slasher. Or one that we want. It's going to be fun. Now, I will say that the trailer makes this film seem a little bit uh, more mainstream than the Grindhouse one. Uh, looks like it's just going to be a straight-up holiday-themed slasher, which, which again, it's fine. I mean, it looks like there's going to be some some pretty brutal kills in it. It's going to be an interesting story. My guess is that Roth is going to tease some moments from the trailer, but ultimately it's not going to live up to the Grindhouse trailer version. And you know what? That's okay by me. I wanted to see this movie since Grindhouse, and, and honestly, I'm going to take any version of it that I can. Uh, so super stoked about that. Uh, also just, you know, really happy that there were only two trailers and not 45 minutes of them, uh, like you get at AMC. AMC theaters. We make movies better. Uh, now, uh, I was ready to become a believer. I went and saw this film and I wanted to be proven wrong. I wanted to be proven incorrect. I wanted to be surprised by this. Of course, with any sequel, you can't help but compare it to the original. Uh, not to mention David Gordon Green's last trilogy with Halloween. You kind of compare what he did with that. Uh, with Halloween 2018, it was a simple direct sequel to the very first Halloween. Uh, thus, it erased all of the other Halloween films. Uh, kind of creating a multiverse, if you would, of Halloween movies and alternate time, alternate timelines, etc. You know, uh, The Exorcist and its sequels and prequels are a little bit different, though. I mean, it's less kind of a linear kind of thing. Because uh, you had the original Exorcist, and, uh, and of course that was based off of the novel by William Peter Blatty. Uh, of course, he was offered a lot of money to write a sequel and decided that, it wasn't gonna. Uh, 
So Warner Brothers uh, made their own sequel, uh, of course, The Exorcist to The Heretic. And of course, that failed miserably and is looked at as one of the worst, not just sequels, but one of the worst horror films in in history. I mean, you know, even Plan 9 kind of has a following, but I don't know a lot of, of people that follow The Exorcist 2. And, you know, so, so yeah, that, that shit the bed. Uh, but I will say, uh, Blatty would go on to write his own sequel eventually and entitled it Legion. He, so, you know, he wrote it as a book. He wrote it as a screenplay first, but not a lot of people, you know, wanted it. So he actually turned that screenplay into a novel. Uh, but then eventually, of course, it became Exorcist 3. Now, that's a film that's actually kind of the definition of a cult classic as it's gained popularity over the years. It came out in 1990. It's got George C. Scott and Brad Dourif in it. It's got some pretty cool jump scares. There were actually two prequel movies that came after that, and that was a whole mess within itself. Uh, but since this Believer is billed as a direct sequel to the original it's not exactly clear on what's canon in this new exorcist universe. You know, this exorcist verse, which is kind of fucking hard to say exorcist verse, you know, uh, one would assume that the short lived TV show is not. And without giving any uh, spoilers away for that TV show, which you can actually check it out on Hulu. Um, I don't want to give anything away about it, but you know, just check it out and you'd kind of see why that show probably wouldn't be considered uh, canon. Uh, now, I'm not going to go into spoilers here for Believer, uh, but I will say that uh, I'm happy to say that my, my biggest kind of like prediction from last episode was that Believer, that song by Imagine Dragons, was going to be used. It wasn't, so that's good. You know what you got? You got tubular bells because it's, it, it's an exorcist movie. You need to have tubular bells. So I was completely wrong about that one. I mean, again, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was used there or in a trailer or whatever. But yeah, no, I was I was ready. I, I wanted to be proven wrong. I wanted the critics to be wrong and everything that I see and just kind of see for myself. And, and I am going to say that when that Universal logo kind of came up at the beginning, I got a little PTSD. I was a little worried that they were going to be like, surprise, motherfucker, it's Halloween ends and there's no escape. You're locked in here. We ain't letting you out. With having read reviews and experiencing the last Halloween trilogy for this movie, I didn't really have any expectations other than possible dread. So when I saw that Universal logo, I was like, oh, hold on to your butts. Exorcist Believer actually stars Leslie Odom Jr., uh, who is best known for playing Aaron Burr in Hamilton. And uh, he plays Victor, who is a photographer and an overprotective single father, raising his teenage daughter, Angela, whose mother died tragically in an earthquake uh, while she was pregnant. Uh, and this was on a, actually on a trip to Haiti. You actually used the, uh, the earthquake disaster in, in Haiti uh, in the what... Uh, you know, injured the mother. And of course, Victor is given a choice between saving the mother and saving the daughter. And of course, after that scene in the beginning, uh, you kind of realize uh, that the choice was made as he has a uh, 13 year old daughter, Angela, uh, of course, and uh, his wife, 
uh, had passed. Uh, but because of this loss, the daughter decides to go into the woods with her friend, Catherine, and try to communicate with the mom, like doing like a seance or some, I, I know that there was like a crystal pendulum, so they could have used like some witchcraft thing that they saw. I wasn't a hundred percent sure, uh, because they didn't really elaborate, uh, in the first exorcist, of course, uh, you know, that. Reagan communicates with uh, a Ouija board with uh, Captain Howdy. And, you know, that that seems to be how she got possessed. What happens is that these girls go off into the woods uh, to, you know, try to do this uh, seance, if you would, for Angela to communicate with her mom. And they go missing for three days, you know, as you do. Uh, and of course, while the Vic, uh, the girls are, are out, they're missing. Uh, Victor meets Catherine's uh, very religious parents, the mom, played by Jennifer Nettles, uh, of uh, Righteous Gemstones. After uh, three days, the girls are found. They're found about thirty miles away, and they have no memory or sense of time over the last three days. And although the girls are are back. You know, they're found and all of that. They, they don't really seem like themselves. And you probably know why they don't seem like themselves. Because, you know, they got into that old witchcraft. Or, you know, trying to communicate with the dead. And, and something got, got in there. And, and it's for both of them. I mean, in the first film, we just had Reagan. Now we've got two. It almost makes me think that, you know, what are they going to do in the third one? They're going to have three girls? I don't know. While all the parents, they're relieved that these daughters have returned, you know, odd things start happening, like uh, lights going on and off and stuff like that. There's a scene where Catherine, and it's a scene that's actually in the trailer, it's a scene where uh, Catherine is in church, and I thought in the trailer she was covered in blood, but you actually find out in the movie that she's actually uh, had gotten into the um, communion and it was like, it was like wine all over and she's saying the body and the blood, the body and the blood over and over again. Kind of like Georgie from the, uh, from the it movie where he's like, you'll flow too. You'll flow too. It's, it's kind of like that same, you know, it's a kid repetitive. I thought that was a little sneaky of David Gordon green in the trailer, you know, to, to, to show that scene and you, and, and you can't help but assume that this young girl, Catherine, who is possessed is covered in blood, but she's not. So shame on you, David Gordon green for thinking that the, uh, gore factor was going to be raised because of that. Now, I mean, there, there is, you know, blood uh, and stuff like that in this film. Uh, there's some creepy moments, uh, especially with like toes and, and fingernails. Uh, so I would imagine Quentin Tarantino probably really digs this one. But, um, but uh, desperate to get their daughters healed and back to normal. And after exhausting all seemingly exhausting all their options because unlike the first film, we're not really, we're, we're kind of privy, you know, to some stuff and examinations, but it, it just seems to go very quickly. Uh, the parents decide to assemble a team of exorcists to fight for their daughter's soul. A team uh, from different religions. You know, just 
hold on to, to that thought, you know, because obviously in the first exorcist, it was Catholicism, it was a Catholic priest, uh, uh, you know, to perform the exorcism. Uh, and this is all like, well, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring in multiple, you know, types of religion, you know, because every religion has a way of exorcising demons. So that's what we're going to do. That that's pretty much all for the synopsis, uh, and, and I will say that I want to uh, start off by by kind of getting into what I dug about the movie. I like the casting. I love Jennifer Nettles from what she's done in The Righteous Gemstones, playing Ka- Catherine's mom, who is uh, religious. You can kind of see from a lot of the facial expressions and stuff. You can kind of gain a little bit of the character. Of, of who she is and you know the the horror of a mom seeing her daughter the way that you know she's possessed and everything um i just w- really wish they would have gone more into her character i felt her and her husband were kind of an afterthought but but i understand and again this is part of a trilogy you don't know if if that character development is is maybe coming later but that is something i i kind of wanted from this, I felt that was lacking. Um, Ann Dowd is in this movie. Uh, probably know her from Hereditary. She was in that HBO show, The Leftovers, and she played actually uh, Victor and Angela's neighbor. And it's funny because she kind of starts off like a Karen by complaining about the trash cans not being moved. You know, she's like, I gotta move that trash cans or what? You know, kind of thing. And uh, I'll tell you, if my neighbor did that to me, I would tell them that they're number one, but I'd do it with uh, my middle finger. When you live in a neighborhood, you got neighbors and stuff like that. If you don't have an HOA, I mean, you kind of understand that every neighbor kind of does something that, to annoy the other. Well, you know, if they have kids that are loud or you know, have people coming in and out at all times of night, or they leave the trash can out. But you know what? I'm not going to police the trash cans. I, I have my own trash cans to deal with, so I'm not terribly worried about that. And Dowd's character, you know, does get a little bit more uh, development because she's actually a nurse at the hospital where the girls are brought to when they're found. You know, you kind of get her away from being that Karen kind of character into someone that actually becomes a a big part and has a a really interesting kind of uh, story arc herself. And, and like I said, with Jennifer Nettles, this is part of a trilogy. So you just wonder what more are we going to get into? Uh, Now, the other thing about Ann Dowd and how important she becomes is that Uh, When Victor kind of seems out of sorts with, you know, what to do next and Dowd's character uh, actually gives Victor a book written by Chris McNeil, the mom from the first exorcist. And of course, Ellen Burstyn uh, returns, reprises her iconic role after the first film. Which is interesting, obviously, uh, because William Friedkin is, you know, obviously not directing this one. I know that Ellen Burstyn didn't do Exorcist 2 because of some of the problems she and injuries she experienced on set on The Exorcist and everything. But she came back to this one and, you know, it, it's it's nostalgia. But I dug that Ellen Burstyn was back. 
and it, and it gives you a little bit of context what happened after the possession. I mean, she wrote a book about it, and of course, Victor reads it and you know sees how you know similar this is, and of course, Victor goes and seeks her out for help. So that's how we get her. You know, of course, he asks about Reagan, and Reagan is nowhere uh, to be found. hasn't talked to her mom and and forever because she was upset about the book. You know, being written kind of went off into exile and everything like that. So you, you do kind of get a little bit more of that um, story about what happened after the second exorcist, but went in, didn't go into it too much that where it could be wide open. And again, not knowing what the other exorcist movies, if they have anything to do a part, a part of this. You know, again, very vague on this uh, Exorcist verse. Uh, but uh, I dug that Ellen Burstyn was back. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for nostalgia. And while nostalgia in sequels or reboots might seem like a cheap way to get people in the theater and then exposed to a new direction of the franchise, you know, I'm, I'm going to fall for it. <laughs> Maybe not every time. Tron Legacy, you know. Uh, but, uh, but I kind of wish she did have more to do in the movie. Ellen Burstyn kind of get Halloween kills, if you would, for this, where they introduce her and then shuffle away, but it's still there every now and again. So that, you know, again, David Gordon Green, see what you're doing. You got me. That's twice now that you got me. You got me with the whole, you know, body in the blood part, not blood. And then now this Victor is an interesting character and obviously a lead character. There's a scene that he does when uh, he's t- he, cause he's a photographer now seemingly doing like family portraits and uh, it, he's doing a family portrait and there's this like crazy kid that's going on. And it's, it's a lot of disorientation with the shots and the kid kind of, uh, acting crazy and stuff. Now, had this kid had more screen time, he probably would have caught up with the Babadook kid as the most annoying child on film. Because, in all honesty, if you, as a parent, if you've ever been in that situation where you need to do something or whatever, and your kid's just going crazy, it can be just. Uh, I mean, it can be a pain for you. It can be pain for the people trying to help you out and things like that. So that was actually done really well. And again, that kid was annoying as shit. Hopefully they don't, you know, put the Babadook kid and him together. That would, uh, that would probably open up like a wormhole or some shit. (laughs) But while there wasn't a lot of scary in this film, there were some jump scares with the original exorcist. Every time that I've watched it, it makes me feel something, you know, even though I know what's coming, I've seen it. I don't know how many times, you know, there is something that you catch on or or what have you with each individual showing or or screening of, of the exorcist, at least for me, I wasn't completely bored with believer because it it was very, it, it seemed very fast paced to me, but I wanted to feel something. And so so like I wanted that cheap jump scare because I just wanted to, to feel something 
instead of just being on on a ride, you know. I mean, that's the great thing about movies is that they help you experience, especially with horror. You can get something out of it. If you're not scared, you might be grossed out or, you you know, just you might cheer for somebody. You know, a, a character that you don't like gets killed. There's obviously something that you get from that. But, I mean, at, at this point, I was settling for the cheap jump scares. And so you did get a, a few of those. Nothing to the extent of the jump scare in uh, Exorcist 3, though which is probably one of the best jump scares in cinema. I, I definitely was looking for and wanting these. I know Shannon got hit. There was one part where Shannon really like took the bait on it and jumped and uh, thankfully didn't spill the popcorn. Now, of course, um, th- th- there are some issues and, and problems that a lot of uh, reviewers a lot of uh, critics have, have kind of talked about, and a lot of them I agree with. First one is the most glaring and, and, and obvious one is that you, you, could, you, you can compare this to the original, but it can't be beaten. Original Exorcist is a fucking classic. It's like, you know, tasking a filmmaker to go back and be better than The Godfather 2. It's just... It, the bar is so high with The Exorcist. For so many people, it's the scariest movie they've ever seen, or their favorite scary movie. Usually, it's for me, it's The Exorcist in The Shining, depending on where I'm at or what stage I'm at. I mean, those two kind of go back and forth. Um, one of the things that I feel like that could be easily replicated with the original Exorcist is the original Exorcist kind of felt real. Now, I don't know if that is because William Friedkin had started his career in uh, documentaries, so he knew how to shoot it to where it would seem real. Uh, kind of like you're a fly on the wall kind of thing. You know, that's what, how I feel when I watch Exorcist, is that you're, you're a part of it and you're there, but you're kind of like a fly on the wall. And that's another thing that kind of makes it scary because, you know, I've been to the Georgetown Steps. You know, I've been to that area. And it exists. The, that that home exists. You know, so it's very, it felt like real worldly. Uh, now, uh, this one, Believer, takes place in Georgia. And honestly, it could have taken place anywhere because I didn't really feel like, you know, hey, I'm in Georgia. I mean, none of the characters seem to have a, a Georgia accent. I mean, it could have been in, in Canada. It could really have been anywhere. It could have been California. But it takes place there in Georgia. And so already, I I don't, I I think sometimes in film, when you're in a setting somewhere, like I've never been to Massachusetts, but I've, you know, I watched The Departed and, you know, you kind of get a feel for Massachusetts, for Boston. You know what I mean? That kind of took me out. and, and, And so with that, I feel like takes away from the realism. Another gripe that I kind of had with Believer is that the teenagers in this film, they didn't have any fucking phones, man. I have a teenager. The boy is a teenager. And I swear to God, it's like nowadays teenagers, it's like they have one hand because the other hand has a phone in it. You know, they're doing the Snapchatting and the picture and the texting and all of that. And, and this is a film that has two teenage girls. 
who are never on their phones. You know that they have a phone because the dad, Victor, tries to find his daughter by calling the phone. But there's no phones. I mean, teenagers in class. Now, I know in a perfect world, teenagers in a class wouldn't have their phones. But guess what? Nowadays, they're going to have their fucking phones out. I work in a school. That's Now, of course, in the school that I'm in, the age is not quite there where everyone has a phone. But I've worked in schools where a lot of kids had had phones. And guess what? They're out. Whenever they can be out, they're out. Sometimes they're out in class. It, it, it just, it's, it's not realistic. And, and I understand that it may not uh, lend itself to the movie, but a little bit more realism, you know, can go a long way. You know, so put some goddamn phones in the hands of the teenagers. That's what I would do. Uh, now, there's even a part where, uh, where, where when they're looking for the girls that uh, the police use uh, the school's cameras and it, it kind of shows where the girls went. And they actually have like um, someone that's not even introduced, but is kind of like, you know, looking at what the girls are doing and talking about and everything and, you know, goes to get get on the bus and sees the girls leave to go off in the woods and really and she she's not mentioned or shown the rest of the movie. And you're kind of like, well, what's that? Is she going to, is this girl going to show up in the later sequels or whatever and have a bigger part? Who knows? But you could have had her take video of the girls of where they were going. And maybe they show the, you know, she goes to the cops, you know? And so they use that phone footage or, or what have you. But I mean, I know a lot of schools have, cameras and stuff like that but it's just again another way that you can kind of add some realism to it and of course there there is a part where the teenagers are are kind of like whispering in class about their plans and stuff why not just text message it you know they get yelled at by the teacher for whispering in class and stuff when i mean today i feel like a lot of kids would just be texting that information now, on the flip side, one part I definitely related to, and it seemed real to me, was the part where Catherine and her parents are in church. And the kids are kind of drawing on the church program, obviously bored in the service. I used to do that all the time when I went to church. You know, sometimes, of course, when I was a teenager, when I would go to church every now and again, kind of pass notes with, you know, Luke Newman, a former guest of the show, and his brother, Jake. Uh, I would go to church with them if I had stayed the weekend at their house would essentially, you know, go to church with them. And so you get the church program, you draw and stuff like that. Uh, now granted a possessed Catherine decided to do some, something completely else with her time. And I'll just kind of, uh, in church and I'll, I'll kind of lend you with that. And it's before you get to the communion scene and all of that. But, um, but if it's one thing that the original Exorcist had were some, some shocks and stuff like that, I felt like uh, part of that church scene was a way to try to duplicate that. But really, as shocking as it kind of seemed, it, it again, how can, you, how can you beat the original? Good effort, though, because it's kind of creepy, you know, even just talking about it and thinking about it. Uh, again, I feel like there was a whole bait and switch from the trailer with Catherine yelling the body and the blood over and over again. 
And one of the mistakes, which actually Shannon pointed out to me, is the kind of the order of the sermon of church, because usually communion is done at the end of the service, at least where we where we've been in a lot of churches that I'll experience it. You you know go through the sermon and all of that. Communion's at the end, so it it kind of seemed out of whack because they did communion, and then we're you know kind of getting in the service, so. Again, you you kind of get thrown off when I mean, and the little things they they matter. In fact, I believe the whole communion was done in the middle of the sermon, just so Catherine could go out and get into the aisle and and shock everyone. You know, basically setting up that scene. It's like that scene was more important than what the order of the service would be. So that kind of kind of threw me off a little bit again wanting that realism there and just not getting it uh now one of the other issues is kind of a big issue because victor angela's father is an over overprotective father because he lost his wife and you know he had swore to his wife that he would you know protect his daughter what have you so you really get that vibe that victor is an overprotective father and uh, Angela's, like, outing, you know, uh, Angela hanging out with Catherine after school, it seems like it's the very first time it's happened. And, of course, we know that Angela has a cell phone because he had tried calling it. So, I mean, you would assume that Victor, the overprotective father that he is, would probably have her share her location with him and that he could track her. Also, knowing what time school ends, he might track her when she gets out of school and where, you know, they might be going. Also, the day that she goes missing, Victor falls asleep at work. So he doesn't track his daughter. You know, he's taking the the family photos and stuff like that, but he falls asleep at work. You know, I'm sorry, but I'm over the trope of people falling asleep, like at their desk, whether they're studying or working at an office in movies and TV, because I've never done that. I've never like fallen asleep with my head on the book, you know, and the librarian comes by, Oh, it's time to go. That's never happened to me. Never been like, Oh, I pull trying to pull an all nighter. Whoops. I fell asleep. Got to pass the test. You know, I mean, I've, I had fallen asleep at sc- in school, and, and stuff like that. Sure. It happens, but it's not for a prolonged period of time. You know, a lot of these people, if they fall asleep at work or what have you, it, it, it makes it seem that they've been asleep for hours and I'm just kind of over that trope. But, um, I don't know. And I, I've never fallen asleep at work. I mean, I may have had like a back in the day, like had a, like a hard night or whatever, a partying or whatever, and just never got any sleep. And you're kind of like nodding off here and there, like, you know, but they're micro naps, small little micro naps that, you know, I'm not sitting there, you know, just taking a full on snooze. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I, it's something I need to experience, something I need to do. Uh, by the way, anyone uh, at my work who might be listening to this, I don't sleep at work. I mean, I, I would if if I was allowed, but no, I, I don't. I just think it's something, this whole trope is something in movies that just kind of needs to stop because nobody does it. But I'll tell you what, if you do do it, reach out. 
and I just said doo-doo. But, it, but if if you fall asleep at work or while you're studying for an all-nighter or what have you, uh, send us a message and uh, and we'll give you a shout-out for that. Uh, but I had talked about the pacing of this movie, and it, it's a it's two hours, but it's a quick two hours. Um, there, it's it, it seems like there's a lot of we're gonna skip to this because they did it in the first movie and every other exorcism type of movie. In the first Exorcist, it was something that happened, you know, kind of gradually. Reagan had. had already been communicating with Mr. Howdy with the Ouija board, but the possession, it took time. You know, it's that, you know, Reagan's mom took her to the doctor and all of that. It just seemed like in believer, it was instantaneous. As soon as these girls were found and they're right there in the hospital, it's like, you know, Oh, they're fucking possessed. I mean, now they're not like all scarred up and stuff like that, you know, but even that seems to happen pretty fast. Now, um, to kind of, uh, go off on a tangent here, which is, you know, I know I rarely do it here on the plastic things podcast, but, um, I'm a big fan of the Leslie Nielsen flick repossessed came out in 1990. I remember renting it because, you know, you, you love Leslie Nielsen and those type of slapstick goofy kind of movies. And it had Linda Blair in it. And I had actually seen this one before I even saw the exorcist. I wasn't old enough. And to be honest with you with this movie in 1990, uh, some parts not appropriate, you know, but it did have Linda Blair in it, uh, you know, and it was just very silly. A lot of references were, you know, kind of like, uh, the formula that, uh, like scary movie used and then not another teen movie and all of those, etc., and on and on where it just kind of references a lot of, pop culture of the day and a lot of stuff in repossessed a lot of kids wouldn't get today um because of that but um but i wonder if this maybe should be canon Uh, because honestly (laughs) the end of exorcist believer kind of borrows a little bit of the end of repossessed and i know that's kind of weird to say but it's true and I'm not going to fully give it away, but if you've watched Repossessed before going into this one, I think I think you'll kind of get it. Now, in July of 2021, when the rights to The Exorcist were purchased, Universal knew that uh, they were going to make a trilogy. I mean, they, they spent $400 million for the rights from Morgan Creek, who owned it. Uh, the, the rights then and I can't help but feel but um, that that superhero effect that's starting to kind of infect other movies now you know um, legacy sequels that are essentially remakes with a couple tweaks to make it different it's getting tired and it's a and it's a trick that and I'm doing air quotes. I know you can't see that, but it's kind of a trick that's played out by now. There was another exorcism movie that I saw earlier this year, the Pope's exorcist. And while it was kind of like the exorcist meets natural national treasure, it ended with a, Oh, we're going to make more kind of not It's like, Hey, I know you saw this, but Hey, look at this on the end. We're going to make more of these. Does every movie have to do that? Does every movie have to give the audience a wink? 
that there's going to be more. I mean, look at the Dark Universe. Again, Universal wanting to bring back the Mummy and Frankenstein, and, you know, all that shit. And it failed after the Mummy, you know, with Tom Cruise. You know, just kind of went, just kind of fizzled. They're like, oh, that we fucked that up. We're not going to do that again. Let's just go buy the rights to another existing IP and make a trilogy of, of it. But in contrast, look at The Shape of Water. The Shape of Water took Creature from the Black Lagoon and, and kind of put an interesting twist on it. I'm not saying you got to make a whole fucking universe out of it. But you can do interesting stuff with his existing IP. Intellectual property. That's what IP stands for. It's not IP, I'm, I'm peeing my pants. I mean, I wear pens when I record, so I might be peeing my pants. But in a way that it's not going to ruin my day. Plastic Fangs Podcast, episode 83, brought to you by Depends. When you're going to see Martin Scorsese's new film, Killers of a Flower Moon, I think I fucked up the title of that. Killers of the Flower Moon. When you're going to see that new Martin Scorsese movie that's three and a half hours long, where it depends. Available at Calgore. Now, I don't even think that exists anymore. I think now it's like Walgreens. CVS. Go to CVS. Get your shot. The newest shot of COVID is out. The new booster. Go get it. And pick up some Depends when you're going to see Martin Scorsese's Killers of a Flower Moon. Which I'm totally fucking that up. But I'm not going to fucking look it up. Because I'm talking about The Exorcist. And I'm talking about that fact that movies should be released as what they are. Individual stories. Even if it's set in a giant multiverse. Part two of a trilogy. You still have to have a satisfying ending. Has to be able to stand out, but also be a part of. I mean, the Scream movies get it. Sure, you know they're going to keep making more and more of them. But if they all of a sudden stopped, if they were like, you know what? Scream 6 is it. We're done. I mean, at least it had an ending. Maybe it wasn't a satisfying ending, but it's an ending nonetheless. You know that there were complete movies and can move on. Movies are becoming episodic, which is becoming exhausting to me. Binging works on Netflix, but it doesn't translate to screen when a new episode is going to come out every two to three years. I thought it was hard watching the old Batman TV show and having to tune in again at the same Bat Time and Bat Channel, see what happens. But this is taking it further than that. Back to the Future 2 came out four years after the original. But then turn around and release the third one the next year. But then again, 1989 was a banner year for sequels. You had the Toxic Avenger 2, American Ninja 3, Police Academy 6, Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Friday the 13th Part 8, Halloween 5, Karate Kid 3, Fright Night 2, The Fly 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Fletch Lives, Star Trek 5, Ghostbusters 2, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Lethal Weapon 2. Holy cow, it was fucking nuts. Sequels everywhere. 
And aside from the Eddie and the Cruisers and American Ninja, almost all of those properties are being looked at now to reboot or have a sequel or being added on to or what have you. And I know that Fright Night had a remake and Eric Stoltz pretty much killed any prospect of a fly multiverse. I mean, but shit, Key and Peele were going to be bringing back Police Academy. But unfortunately, uh, their flick Keanu flopped and, uh, of course, Jordan Peele went on to horror, which is actually a great thing because he's awesome. But you know that Police Academy is in the back of someone's mind about, you know, how the fuck can we redo this? You know? You can bet someone at Universal is begging David Gordon Green or someone else to do a new Back to the Future trilogy and have cameos by everyone. I mean, could you imagine, um, let's see, Steve from Stranger Things plays Marty Jr. And one of Doc's kids returns and builds a time machine out of a fucking Tesla. Now, speaking of time travel, if you want time travel, you can look no further than Amazon Prime's new flick that came out. Totally killer. It's where a girl whose parents friends were brutally murdered when they were in high school and uh, she travels back in time to find out who the killer was after her mother is murdered by a re-emergence of the same killer yeah I know it's kind of far-fetched but uh, you take one part back to the future sprinkle in one part of happy death day you add a smidge of valentine because of that ridiculous fucking mask in this movie and there you go you got a flick. Now, it, it's not terrible. It's not a terrible flick. Um, I actually kind of dug Totally Killer. The boy and I sat and we watched it this past Friday. Um, and, the, and there's definitely some entertaining parts. I know he dug it. And I feel like that maybe this movie was made more for his demo. His demographic. And it, you know, and it doesn't take itself too seriously. It definitely has some comedy elements in there. Randall Park is in it, you know, uh, uh, fresh off the boat. He was in that blockbuster series on Netflix that did not last very long. Uh, Kiernan Shipka from Mad Men is in it. Uh, Lachlan Monroe, uh, no stranger of horror himself. He was in Freddy versus Jason. He was also in the scary movie. Uh, Julie Bowen, the mom from Modern Family, uh, also, uh, who was in Hubie Halloween, is in it. And uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Liana Liberato. Liana Liberato. Uh, she was in Scream 6. And um, I'm not going to give away any spoilers to Scream 6, but uh, she's in it. <laughs> But, this, I mean, but Totally Killer, I mean, it's a Halloween movie. It takes place at Halloween. And guess what? It's released in October. I mean, granted, on, on streaming. But, I mean, it's released in October. It's a Halloween movie, so... That's awesome. Is it great? Not by any means. But it was entertaining. And I don't think I need to have a million sequels or, or launch a, a Totally Killer universe... And it's, it's not something that I feel like was left open-ended with a cliffhanger that will probably never get made. Because that's pretty frustrating in its own right. There's, there's nothing worse than when uh, a movie 
kind of ends with the promise of more. And you don't, I mean, we never got a Mac and me too. And they promise that don't they promise that at the end? We never got that. Who knows what happened to Mac and me after Mac and me, you know, kind of reminds me, uh, Shannon and I started rewatching my name is Earl and I forgot how good that, that show is. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Love it. I loved it when I watched it originally. Now, for some reason, I was trying to think of why I couldn't remember how it ended. And uh, Shannon and I were kind of talking to me. She was, you know, she reminded me that it ended on a cliffhanger. And honestly, I must have blocked it out because that's fucking traumatizing for people that are fans of stuff. If Universal decided that they made a $400 million mistake and weren't going to make any more Exorcist movies, I mean, that, that, would, that would suck. You'd have to do something. I mean, you know, put out uh, something. It's the fucking Exorcist, for God's sakes. You got to show it some respect. You know, even if it's a shitty sequel. (laughs) But, um, I mean, you could totally stop and say, you know what? No one's going to fucking care. There are probably going to be a few people that care. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that's why Spider-Man got rebooted a a few times, right? But at the end of the day, the original two got to join in and you sort of learn the rest of their stories, right? The original two Spider-Man, oh, spoilers. <laughs> and I'm sure you know it's been fucking everywhere. But in all honesty, I think Universal is going to do everything they can to recoup their money, to get their ROI, their return on investment, any way they can. They may just decide to burn it down and start over. Who the fuck knows? But the goal is definitely to get their money back. So come April of 2025, when The Exorcist Deceiver is set to release uh, around Easter, which, of course, that's no coincidence, uh, maybe something will be different. And the canned way of doing legacy sequels and franchises, maybe it'll be reinvented. I know it. Maybe it's a you know. Maybe it's a stretch. Uh, maybe I'm uh, being a little Pollyanna, right? I think that's the right word for it. Uh, but maybe a little hope. You know that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride can come up with something that's gonna change the game. You never know. Maybe they have fucking Art the Clown come in and saw somebody in half. I don't know. You know what's not going to do that, though? It's the people behind the Pet Cemetery uh, franchise, or un- the Pet Cemetery universe. Because another movie that I happened to see this past weekend just released as well, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. It's now streaming on Paramount. Paramount Plus? The- yeah, Paramount Plus. Not to be confused with Paramount Network. So on Paramount Plus, uh, it's a prequel to the 2019 remake, which I didn't really care for at all. But good luck watching Pet Cemetery Bloodlines because it's dark as fuck. And I mean, and I don't mean dark as fuck in a good way. I mean, you can barely see the thing. You can barely see any of the night scenes. It's like watching the um, Game of Thrones, you know, and the invasion on the castle by the ice people. I mean, you, it was unwatchable. It was just, it was so dark. 
it's frustrating that movies do that. I don't, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's like you can go online, people that, oh, you got to set your TV to this and all that. Fuck that, man. I'm an American. I want to buy something and put it on the shelf and turn it on and it does what I want it to. I'm also an IT guy, so I don't want to do my fucking work at home. <laughs> but Pet Cemetery Bloodlines uh, focuses on Judd Crandall's character. Uh, and it essentially uh, draws out one of the chapters from the pet, you know, Stephen King's book. And it, you know, so it, it pulls a last voyage of Demeter kind of thing where you take one chapter of a book and you make a whole movie out of it. I'm not going to recommend Bloodlines. I'm not going to recommend that you watch it. Um, I do recommend that Paramount maybe will bury it in the Micmac burial ground. And um, maybe Pet Cemetery will come back as something much scarier. This movie does what is so popular to do with horror films. And that... and it's not just horror films, it's a lot of films, but it's it's to explain why these things happen, or, or why they are what they are. I mean, what's next? We're going to get a Christine movie about why it's a killer car? Coming. Summer 2028, Plastic Things Pictures brings you Blood on the Highway, a Christine story, part one of 12, starring Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> Pet Cemetery 2 was better than this film. And I actually I like Pet Cemetery 2. It's got Clancy Brown in it. Love Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown uh was actually in Dumb Money, which I happened to see that as well. I've seen a lot of fucking movies over the last few days. Uh Dumb Money, absolutely a great flick to go see. Thanks, Daisy. Uh da- well that's not Art Art the Clown, that's Daisy with her ball. Thanks. Uh you're welcome. <laughs> yes, everyone will tune into your uh, podcast. Please go tune into Daisy's podcast, and uh, and I'm I'm about to exercise her uh, on out the door here. <laughs> but um, but I like Pet Cemetery too. It may not have been the best, but you know what? I could at least see the night scenes. They were lit up. Didn't have a problem. Now I, I I didn't like the 2019 Pet Cemetery. I get that they were rushing to remake it after the success that it chapters one and two had, and honestly, I was kind of excited to see it. You know, by seeing the trailer, it did look creepy and stuff like that. But the uh, artistic license to change it to try to make it different, I just I I couldn't dig it. I didn't dig it. Uh, even the cat wasn't terribly scary. You know, Church in the first one, was I've seen cats like that. Like, around neighborhood and shit. That's fucking scary. Wanna know why? Because it feels real. The Pet Cemetery franchise is going the way of Children of the Corn. And that was that another Stephen King remake. Disappointing. Came out. Firestarter. That remake... Fuck that shit. I can't believe I saw that in a theater. Man, fucking horrible. Now, on the flip side, 
an adaption of The Black Phone, which was a Joe Hill short story, that was a great flick. It had good scares. God, there were some brutal scenes in that. It was directed by Scott Derrickson. And, you know, he's no stranger to Exorcist movies, though. He had directed Exorcism of Emily Rose. And, of course, uh, Black Phone was co-written by C. Robert Cargill. Now, I bring them up because there's yet another movie that I checked out, and that's VHS 85 that's streaming now on Shudder. It's the sixth VHS movie. And I will say that not every VHS movie is a, is a great one. But it's uh, anthology horror, and I love it. But I do enjoy all of them, maybe some more than less. There's some that, but there's definitely at least one segment out of every VHS movie that kind of sticks with me. Uh, but there were multiple segments in, in this VHS 85 that I really dug. Um, it, definitely a great return to form. And uh, Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill uh, actually had a segment in there. It was just, it was a great watch. And again, kind of one of those movies that gets you in the, in the Halloween movie. I think it's a great entry in the series and I would definitely watch it. Load up Shutter, watch that shit. It's great. Now, on the last show, I had talked about how some films just they they didn't seem scary anymore. While thinking about The Exorcist and the lack of realism, I thought about films like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just kind of again made made you feel like you're that fly on the wall that you that you're kind of there but you're not there. And while the VH VHS series has seemed to initially start off kind of as an August underground ripoff. It's become a really awesome showcase for many names in horror to do what they normally wouldn't be able to do. Give them some creative freedom that they don't normally have. A who's who of modern horror directors like Ty West, Eduardo Sanchez and Greg Hale, Jason Eisner, that, who did Hobo with a Shotgun. They've all done entries into VHS over the you know past six movies. And having a team like Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, it gives it the extra oomph. These guys made fucking Doctor Strange. You know, so, I mean, VHS 85 is is a good way to, to, to pump some energy into, to, into that series. And definitely it's been my favorite watch so far of the spooky season. Uh, I'm not going to give away all the segments, but there's one segment called No Wake, uh, directed by Mike P. Nelson. And he actually is the one that directed the remake of Wrong Turn. Which I, I know I, I've kind of been blasting remakes and stuff like that, but they really did take wrong turn and they made it interesting. It's got Matthew Modine, Vision Quest himself. I'm just going to see if I can sneak Vision Quest into every episode here. This No Wake segment, it's, it's brutal and it's simple, but it's, it's smart. And there's an interesting kind of twist in there. And if I wanted any more out of any of the segments, it would have been that one. It, it would be, it would make a pretty awesome feature. And I would definitely go check that one out. 
So again, I couldn't recommend uh, VHS 85 anymore. If you don't have Shutter, fucking subscribe and watch it. Plus, there's Joe Bob shit going on. So you can't beat that. And if you're in the mood, of course, to check out some more stuff, go check out the Plastic Fangs podcast on social media. Give us a like and a follow, a five-star review on iTunes. Wherever you get your podcasts, if you're able to give us a review, please do. Let people know. Share it out. Shout it out from the rooftops. Let your friends know. I mean, and because I'm telling you, it's spooky season. We got a lot of great stuff coming up. Maybe even a couple of surprises. October is a magical time for us horror people. I will say I did finally see the trailer for Five Nights at Freddy, and that actually looks pretty good. The boy was kind of like, I want to see it. So it looks like that might be the best flick to carve some jack-o'-lanterns and uh, eat some Halloween candy. Uh, probably the Halloween candy that Shannon bought. And then she'll it'll be like Halloween. And she'll be like, well, where's the fucking candy? And be like, I don't know. Right? And so I've got to go to the store and get candy. And they're like, ah, and it's only fucking Raisinets left. And it's, huh. All right, so maybe, but Shannon's smart. So she probably has, like, a, a stockpile of candy where I is easily found to distract from the other candy. That's why I love her. And with that, this is Rodney thanking you for listening to the Plastic Fangs podcast. May the power of Christ compel you. Guess what? It's not that compelling. To get bit.